all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. All about the Savior and the promise of His Word. It's all about Jesus. Welcome to It's All About Jesus, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Eagle. You are listening to a Sunday morning message by Pastor Mike Sasso. If you would like to join us for church, we meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle, Idaho. You may also join us live streaming at that time. Go to cceagle.org at 10 a.m. to watch the whole service live. If you can't join us then, you can always go back and watch the video. Let's listen in to today's message. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. Now I know where they're going. Chances are they're going to meet a non-Christian everywhere they go. And sometimes you might just end up having fellowship. That's okay. But Lord, help us to be more outreach-minded, to share the gospel. When we, whatever we do, wherever we go, whether it's just leaving a track with somebody or actual conversation. So with that, let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. And uh, we're going to look at a little bit of a more dreary co- topic today. The uh, topic today is called, Lest We Drift Away. Isn't that a happy, feel-good message? Uh, the, the thing is, I've made a commitment to you that when we're talking about positive things in the scripture, I'm going to teach the, and preach the positive message. When we find warnings in the scripture, I'm going to give you the warnings. You're going to get the pure word, the way it was written, and the reason it was written, and the tone it was written, okay? I'm not going to, you know, there are some preachers that make every, they find something happy to say in every verse. Well, there's happy parts of it if you're saved, But uh, we need to get the whole word of God with the proper balance. Hebrews chapter 2, lest we drift away. This whole, we're only going to look at four verses today, but it starts out with a therefore. And I've always said that whenever you find a therefore in the scriptures, you want to read beforehand into the context to find out what it's there for, okay? So uh, a little reminder, we've already been studying the first chapter, and the book of Hebrews was written to urge the Jewish Christians who were under persecution, not to be discouraged, not to turn away, don't give up faith and go back to your old ways, hold on to Jesus and keep going. And when we read chapter 1, we have looked continuously at the superiority of Jesus Christ, that there's nothing greater, there's nothing better, don't turn from him. Turning from Jesus is turning from God. We talked about that. And he's described in terms that can only be applied to deity. We, we saw in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, who being the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. I mean, there's no higher position or person we could talk about than Jesus Christ. Jesus is described in chapter 1 as better than their greatest hero. Moses. He's described, if you were with us, as greater than their most revered beings, angels. And we went in depth on that. So much so that the angels are told to worship him. Hebrews 1 6, let all the angels of God worship him. Make no mistake about it, folks. Jesus 
is on the top of the food chain, okay? He's the one that we seek, we serve, we worship. And by the way, worship is only reserved for God himself, yet God tells the angels to worship him. You see all throughout the scriptures that if you worship anybody else, that God's a jealous God, he'll share his glory with no one, yet the angels are told to worship him. Yet someday we'll all worship Jesus. And this is a review. We saw it last week, but I never get tired of it. In, in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, says, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I remember one time I had some Jehovah Witness friends come to my door and they would tell me, you've got to know the name of God. We're here to glorify God. Jehovah, that's his name. And we're here to make sure the whole world knows that Jehovah is God and we're here to glorify God. And I says, really, you want to glorify God? That's your goal in life? Yes. And I grabbed him by the hand. I says, I read Philippians 2, 9 through 11. It says, it says that, that all, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's get on our knees right now and to proclaim Jesus as Lord to the glory of God the Father. They left my porch. They just, they went away. But I'm telling you, that's, that's how to do it. And Jesus is even called God by God. Remember last week in verse 8? But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. You know what? I never get tired of this because I... <coughs> oh, that was good. Here, let me try it right. Yeah, I'm asking the sound man to look for a mute button for me for those last-minute coughs. Anyway, um, it's important to realize that Jesus is God. We talked about that. We will continue to talk about it as we continue through the book of Hebrews. As a matter of fact... Something else you got to keep in mind, Colossians 1.16 says that by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, were the thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. Do you hear that? All things were created by Jesus. Okay? Listen to this last line. All things were created through him and for him. You talk to your friends who are in the cults and you make sure they know. Do you realize, if you believe the Bible... You were created by Jesus, but you were also created for Jesus. Are you living for Jesus? You were all created for that purpose. God help us. Father, we pray that as we continue in this journey through the book of Hebrews, that we'd learn what it means to be not just through you, but for you, that we live for you. Thank you for the life you've given us. Lord, help us to live the right, with the right priorities and purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, now if you're taking notes, as a matter of fact, I think I put it in your fill-ins, that today's text introduces us to the first of five warnings declared in this book. And I'm sorry, but there are warnings in the Bible, and I'm not going to hide from them or shrink back from them. The five warnings in the scriptures, and this is your fill-in. Number one, the danger of negligence. And that's found in Hebrews chapter 2. The danger of negligence. Number two, we're going to look at the danger of unbelief. Now, we're not going to cover all these today. We're going to look at the first of them. Uh, number three, the danger of falling away. Hebrews chapter six. Number four, 
The danger of willful disobedience, intentional disobedience, Hebrews chapter 10. And the fifth danger we're warned about in this book is the danger of refusing him in Hebrews chapter 12. Are you looking forward to that? We're going to look at all the, you know what? I like warnings as well as blessings. You know, some people just like to look at the precious promises. I want to know where not to step to. I want to know what not to touch what to avoid. The Bible, God's Word, continues to give us encouragement and bless you, bless you, but also warn you, warn you against the things where the enemy's out to get you, okay? All right, so these are not just side issues, by the way. They're not just rabbit trails that the author goes on. They're real dangers, and these warnings are not just to, some people minimize it, oh, it's just to those people over there, or to those people back then. It's just to the Jews. These warnings are, are to everyone, not to turn away, not to fall away, not to refuse, not to neglect faith in Christ. And if you're taking notes, uh, something else you might want to write in the notes is that the two major themes of the book of Hebrews is number one, Jesus is greater than all else. And number two, we can't expect to escape God's judgment if we reject, ignore, or choose another way. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about, okay? So verse one starts out in chapter two, therefore. Now, uh, again, therefore, I want to re read a couple of things, look back and Chapter 1, we read some of this, but in these last days, verse 2, he's spoken to us by his Son, who's appointed heir of all things, through whom he's made the worlds, who being the brightness of God's glory, the express image of the person upholding uh, of, uh, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become much better than the angels. He has, by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than that. Jump ahead to verse 8. It says, But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. It goes on. I'm going to cut some things because of time here. But continually, it, it, it gives you reason or help you understand why I believe that the, the motto of Calvary Chapel Eagle is, it's all about Jesus. Because you read the scriptures, it's all about Jesus. It's really important that we keep that attitude and that priority. So Jesus Christ is God's final word to mankind. He's the fulfillment of all the prophetic promises and hopes of Israel. Jesus Christ holds the unique relationship to the Father and stands in contrast to the angels that are just created beings. He's uncreated. And, and the angels are just servants of God and God's people. And Jesus is Lord of all. Okay, so on this doctrinal basis, therefore, I, with this understanding, the warning is given, we must listen to the Son. Don't just go, oh yeah, I, I went to Sunday school, I learned my Bible, yeah. No, no, we must listen to the Son, not just remember the fun Bible stories. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard lest we drift away, verse 1. Now, in this one verse, there's both an exhortation and a warning. Let's look at that. The exhortation is give the more earnest heed. Now, we don't normally talk like that, so I'm going to explain it a little bit, okay? Giving heed means to put into practice. As a matter of fact, just for fun, I, I looked up the synonyms for heed in the, uh, in the regular American dictionary. It says observe, follow, regard, Attentiveness, 
Pay attention. If you want an Old Testament application to the word heed, you want to see how it's used in Bible thinking, let me read you one. It's Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. We're told, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you which I've brought on the Egyptians for I am the Lord who heals you. You all like the second half of that promise, right? Some of you have quoted many times the second half of that. But it's all on the if we give heed, if we listen and follow the instructions of the Lord. You want a negative application in the New Testament? Just for fun, I looked through where is this give heed used throughout the scriptures? Uh, I found one that's negative you need to be aware of. In uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1, Paul writes to young Timothy. He says, now the Spirit express, expressly says that in latter times, we're in the latter days for sure, folks. In latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Takes a moment to power up and power up. We're going to have to get that mute button. Okay, so you could give heed to the wrong things. You could give heed to doctrines of demons and give heed to the wrong bad company, right? And so that's the exhortation. Give heed. Give earnest heed. The warning, lest we drift away. What does that mean? You know, it gives you a picture of a, of a vessel out at sea, just no more on course, lost its way and just drifting off course or in the wrong direction. And we're warned of the possibility of getting off track due to not giving careful heed to the gospel. I'm sorry, folks, but you've got to understand that this is, this is a possibility. And do any of you know somebody who used to be right on following the Lord and they just, whether it's by just got, getting into sin or stop going to church, they're, they're adrift right now. They're not... They're not following the Lord. They're drifting. Dangerous spot. You know what happens. It really does. So uh, notice who the warning is given to. In the first verse, three times we're told we. In, in verse 3, th there's two times we're told we. And once we're told us. Do you think that applies to us? You know what really kills me about whenever there's a warning in Scripture... I find a lot of well-meaning Christians go, that's not for us. That's for those people, this group over here, or those people back there. But, but the writer of Hebrews is saying we repeatedly, and us repeatedly. And then I, that, I guess that means we and us, you think? Okay, so the warning, this warning, and all the warnings through the book of Hebrews is always phrased us and to to we or us. I think it's to Christians, okay? So verse 1 says, we must give careful heed. No, no, we're talking about the, the atheist. Stop! We're told, we can, lest we drift away. That's talking warnings to us. So forgive me, but I really want to stress it because I've seen people minimize the warnings of Scripture as if they're really not to true Christians. If you drift away, you just really weren't a true Christian. I just think that that's, you're forcing it. In verse 3, we're told, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And what's the reasoning behind it? Look at verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? 
basically what the author is saying here is, if Jesus is greater than angels, which chapter 1 was all about that, and disobeying a message that came from an angel has severe consequences, how much more will disobeying or ignoring Christ bring severe consequences upon someone's life? That's really the reasoning in verse 2 and 3. And it's a constant argument from lesser to greater. Look at that, now look at something greater. Uh, a constant argument throughout this book. And here, it's the law of Moses, the lesser, in comparison to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the greater. And we'll see a pattern through this book as we study it together, that there's explanations, and then there's an exhortation. I want you to know who Jesus is. I want you to know how great he is. Now the exhortation is, hold fast to him. Huh? We'll see that continually. So here's, here's your next fill-in. And I almost, I think I might even kind of said this in another way. There's two themes throughout the book of Hebrews. Number one, Jesus is superior to everything and everyone else. He's superior. Number two, don't turn away from him. Huh? Well, why would I do that? Good question. Why would anybody do that? But that is the theme, the two themes running through the book of Hebrews. Why would you settle for anything less than Jesus? Your next fill in here is settling for anything but Jesus is disastrous. Well, I used to go to church. I used to follow Jesus. But, you know, then I found this new, this new uh, spiritual center and we chant or we do this or we, do, you know, it's, it's spiritual. It's disastrous. Trading Jesus in for anything else is disastrous. Later, this very author will also write in chapter 10, uh, verse 28, anyone who has rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How, of how much worse punishment do you suppose he will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? It's so important to understand there's a comparison. There was no mercy in the law of Moses. And how do you think, you know, we say grace, 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 grace in the gospel. But if you reject the gospel, there's severe consequences. It goes on to say, we know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands a living, of a living God. Now, by the way, when it says, how should we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How should we escape what? Well, obviously, in this context, and all throughout the book of Hebrews, it's escape judgment. How do you think you're going to get away from the judgment of God if you just live how you want and ignore Jesus Christ? And here's your next fill-in. <clears throat> if you reject God's great salvation, you receive God's great judgment. Huh? Now, I know this kind of Teaching and preaching isn't popular today. So let me say it again. If you reject God's great salvation, you receive God's great judgment. This is serious stuff. I like the way the Everyman Bible Commentary put it. It says, the gospel has brought greater privileges and greater responsibilities. We dare not presume upon God's grace. His standards of righteousness has not altered, and he still expects obedience from his people. Uh, verse 3 continues to say, you know, how shall we escape such a great salvation? It says, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who 
heard him. Now I'm going to go into another three-pointer here. We're going to move quickly, but I want you to catch this. In verse 3 and 4, we're given three witnesses of the, to the validity of the gospel message. And this is part of your filling. The first one is this. The Lord Jesus Christ, his life and teachings. His life and teachings. That's the first witness. Hello? I mean, we've just finished the Gospel of Luke. And the whole thing is witnessing of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The validity of it. Just following his life and teachings. And the message of the Gospel came first from the Lord. That's what it's saying here in verse 3. Uh, and, and, you know, the law of Moses, by the way, came just through angels. What the, what the Jews taught was that it came through angelic communication. And boy, how much greater to hear directly from Jesus Christ, who you know who he is. He's the greatest, okay? Now the, the second fill-in, let's look at verse 3 again before I tell you the fill-in. It says, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, that's number one, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So the fill-in is this, Jesus' original disciples who heard and saw and witnessed these things. So our first witness is Jesus himself and that those who lived with him and, and lived life with him and witnessed his miracles and his preaching and everything. So Jesus' disciples are a strong witness. Matter of fact, I like the way the Apostle John put it in 1 John chapter 1. He says this in verse 1. That which was from the beginning which we've heard, which we've seen with our own eyes, which we've looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. He's speaking about Jesus. And the life was manifested. We've seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. This is how John writes his letter to us. He says, that which we've seen, which we've heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Don't miss that. The Bible, the Bible isn't written to you just to warn you. God's ultimate goal for you is that you'd have fellowship with him, that you'd have fellowship with one another, and that your joy would be full. Not just all about the warnings, but the warnings are to keep you out of trouble. The warnings are so that you stay in the right spot, in that sweet spot I used to call it when I used to surf. Got to find that sweet spot on the wave. You, the sweet spot is walking with Jesus, staying close to him. Okay, so number one, witness to the validity of the gospel is the Lord himself, is Jesus Christ, his life and teachings. Number two is Jesus' original disciples. That's who wrote the Bible. All right, and, and who they heard and saw and witnessed these things. Now, number three is found in verse four. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So what's the third witness? God himself has sent signs and wonders. It's God himself being bearing witness through the Holy Spirit. Now, you want to know where that is? Well, first start with the book of Acts, okay? Just read through the book of Acts. It's filled with signs and wonders. And you know, one of the things I'm noticing, maybe you're seeing it too, is there's what we call deconstructionists today. People who are rewriting history, rewriting the Bible. Theologians, or they call themselves theologians, who look at everything in the Bible that is miraculous as a myth. Because, see, here's, here's their basis. Miracles don't happen. So whenever, how do you know what's real in the Bible, what's not? How do you know what you could trust in the Bible and what you don't trust? If it's a miracle, it didn't happen. 
If it's a sign of wonder, somebody made it up. They discount all personal experiences. They, they disregard all claims of the miraculous. It's happening. It's been happening for a long time. And, and it's, it's becoming more and more of a it's deterrent to turn people from the faith. By the way, I'm just curious. How many of you guys have ever experienced a miracle, an answered prayer, a healing, or some kind of divine inter intervention in your life? You know it for sure. Anybody? I don't believe you. Because miracles don't happen. Huh? <clears throat> I mean, that's what they basically do. Um, you know, miracles don't happen, so that's good. You must be imagining. I've told you stories how I've shared miraculous events with atheists. Oh, let me tell you what the Lord did, how he proved himself to me. And they would just calmly say, well, that must have just been a coincidence. Because miracles don't happen. Watch for that today. You're seeing it more and more. Even people used to be calling themselves Christians, and now they're deconstructionists, I would call them, okay? So, but the problem is, the writer of Hebrews says this, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? And God also, bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. You know, you, you remove signs and wonders from the Bible. You just have another religion. It's just another nice story. Another book. Religious book. But signs and wonders are the foundation of, of our faith where God proved himself through signs and wonders, the greatest being the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We talked about that or when we finished the Gospel of Luke. I took some time to show you the evidences of the resurrection. You erase the signs and wonders then you might as well just go back to your old religion. You might as well just believe whatever you want because signs and wonders are a foundation for the Christian faith. And by the way, it's also one of the distinguishing factors of an apostle. Our, uh, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, Paul wrote this. <clears throat> Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you. He was trying to prove who he's who he said he was. He says, with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. What is it? The signs of an apostle. How did you know somebody was really the real thing? Well, they came into town and they prayed for people and they got healed. They came into town and there were signs and wonders. There were miracles. Jesus, he's the resurrection, the hope you enjoyed today's program. You can find all of Pastor Mike's messages and any other information you would like about Calvary Chapel Eagle online at cceagle.org. In iTunes, you can subscribe to the podcast Calvary Chapel Eagle Sunday morning. If you are new to the area and don't already have a home church, we would love for you to come check us out. We meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle. That is one block north of Highway 44. You can call or text the church phone at 208-891-2635. Once again, you can get any information you need at cceagle.org. There you will also find a link to join our Facebook page. So until next time, remember, it's all about Jesus. Yeah, the power of His name.